With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And before we dip into our final preseason mailbag show... We do have some exciting news to share with all of you loyal listeners. Uh, as most of you guys know, about a month ago, we got news that Vsporto, the company that we have been partnered with over the past couple of years to produce and distribute our podcast, was shutting down. We got that news. And, and needless to say, that sent us scrambling. We, we were trying to figure out a way to keep our po- podcast going because we had a very small window with the season being just a little over a month away to kind of figure something out. We... We need to find a way to still produce a small amount of revenue to cover production costs and for it to continue to kind of make sense to produce the show. Because, you know, we, we do. We really put a lot of time into this, especially with us having families and full-time jobs. So, as we said before, the opportunity cost of continuing to spend 15 to 20 hours a week, especially during the, the season, you know, preparing for, recording, and producing a podcast for free was, it was just a little too high for us. So, we started a subscription site a few weeks ago as sort of a last-ditch effort to keep the show going. And honestly, guys, we did. We've been open about this. We had some seriously ambivalent feelings about going that route because the thought of making our listeners pay for access to our content, which is not something that we've had to do since we started the show, was really not a route that we wanted to go if we had any other options. It was really kind of an option of last resort for us. Uh, and a lot of you have responded amazingly to the transition and jumped right on board and have actively been helping us keep this ship afloat for the past month or so with your $2 a month. And we are so grateful. I mean, we truly cannot thank you enough for that support. It's, it's beyond humbling, and it is sincerely appreciated. I can assure you that. But there are a lot of you that very understandably, trust me, we really understand it, just kind of balked at paying for our content, even at the, the rate of uh, only $2 a month. But we totally get that, 100% get that, and in an ideal world, and in, in an ideal situation, we wouldn't have to charge you anything. I mean, that's really wh- where we want to be. So even though we kind of began the transition to our subscription model in an attempt to have something in place when the season did arrive, we were still actively working behind the scenes to find a home where we could continue to offer the show, or at least some of the shows, to all of you guys for completely free. And uh, finally... We are inc- incredibly happy to announce we have found a home, an old home as it turns out. Uh, and as it turns out, Vsporto has found some funding and secured some capital and is going to be able to continue operations after all. We've been in negotiations with them for the last two to three weeks and, and have finally reached an agreement. We haven't officially signed the papers yet. We're waiting on that to get sent over to us. But with the season about a week, week and a half, about a week and a half away here, we want to go ahead and get this news out to you guys as soon as possible so you can kind of start figuring out where to find us moving forward. Uh, so Vsporto is not shutting down like we thought they were. They are scaling back in some ways, and one of those ways is that our agreement with them includes us producing no more than two episodes per week for them. Uh, now, in the past, we've always produced three to four episodes during the football season, and at least 
uh, two shows during the offseason. So during the offseason, two shows sounds about right. But uh, we obviously have a lot to cover during the season and want to fill your hunger for Georgia football the best way that we can and in really the same way that we have for the past couple of seasons. So we want to continue to do what we always have done during the season with the quantity of content that we're producing. So this is how it's going to work through this 2018 football season. We're going to produce the two episodes a week for vSporto that we have agreed to do, and you guys will be able to access those shows for 100% free, no charge, all season long, like, like always, uh, like it always has been the past couple seasons, on dogsportsradio.com or the Dog Sports Radio app, which I think is probably uh, easier to use and where a lot of you would, would access the show. Those two shows on vSporto each week will be the game recap show that we will post on Mondays uh, and the game preview show that we plan to have posted on Thursdays each week. And again, want to reemphasize those shows will be completely 100% are completely free to access 100% free to access like they always have been for the past couple of years. The one caveat there is that once the season hits, we will no longer be posting any new shows to SoundCloud or iTunes because part of our new deal with Vsporto stipulates that the episodes we produce for them will be exclusive to Vsporto and their Georgia site Dog Sports Radio. I know a lot of you like to listen to our show on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we really wish we could still post our shows there, but this is just one of those things that's part of our new deal with vSporto. So if you are one of those people who have always listened to us on SoundCloud or iTunes, all you have to do now is just download the Dog Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone, and you can access all of our vSporto shows from there. That's D-A-W-G, Dog Sports Radio, when you search for it. It's a great app. It really is. Uh, I wouldn't just say that. I mean, it's a good app. It works well. It works really well. And it should be a seamless transition for all of you who are kind of moving over to Dog Sports Radio. Uh, And you can also listen to the show through your internet browser. Stream it at dogsportsradio.com. All right, now let's quickly here get to the last part of this arrangement. I'm sorry, guys. I know this is a lot, but I want to make sure to be as transparent as possible and just get all the information that we have out to you guys. Um, just feel like you guys deserve that, being as loyal as you have been to us over the past couple of years. So, as I said, Vsporto, while we are thrilled to continue our partnership with them, as long as we actually sign those papers, which should be coming in this coming week, uh, we, want to again let, we wanted to again let you guys know what's going on here behind the scenes. But Vsporto is maxing, maxing us out at two episodes per week during the season. But as I said a few minutes ago, we've always produced more than that during the season, and we do want to continue to do so in order to provide you what we guys think is the best coverage that we possibly can. So since we have already started our subscription site, we're going to keep that running, and we're going to offer subscribers premium content that they cannot find anywhere else. Basically, all those other shows we would have been producing in previous years for vSporto that they no longer want us to uh, produce for them, we're going to put that on our premium site. So... Uh, those shows will be exclusive to our subscription site on Podbean and will not end up on vSport O. Uh, that subscription for our premium content will still only cost $2 a month. We tried to price it literally as low as we could. I mean, with fees and whatnot, uh, we bring in just a little over $1 a subscription with this subscription site. So as I've always said, guys, I promise you, we are not trying to get rich off of this. We're just trying to make enough for it to continue to make sense to put in the time that we do to produce the show. And really just kind of pay for our production cost. Uh, we're going to post one to two premium shows every week, depending on the week and, and the opponent. So if you enjoy the show and you want access to all the content we will produce throughout what we hope is another exciting season for Georgia football, 
go ahead and go to our Podbean page, which can be found by clicking on the link on our Twitter profile or just by searching for it on Podbean's main site. Once you get there, you can click the yellow Buy Now button. If you're accessing on the mobile site, just a quick note, you have to scroll down the page a little bit, but it's there. It's a yellow button that says Buy Now. Just quickly uh, type in your payment info once you click on the button, and you are good to go. Uh, It really takes less than a minute, and you don't have to already have a Podbean account or anything like that. It sets you up, and it's really quick, easy, and painless. Um, you can then download the Podbean app and listen to all of our shows from your smartphone or from your computer, whatever works best for you guys. So that's the deal. Uh, I know it probably feels like we are jerking you around a little bit here. First announcing that Vsporto was shutting down, we're starting a subscription site, and then now we're telling you Vsporto actually isn't shutting down after all. Uh, I get it. I mean, trust me, no one out there has been more frustrated by this than we have. It's been stressful, uh, to say the least. Uh, I've probably had more migraines in the past month than I have had in my entire life to this point. But the bottom line is we wanted to do everything we could to offer as much of the show for free as we could. And this is the solution that we were able to work out. Um, If you still have any questions, feel free to contact us on Twitter. Direct message works really well, but whatever works for you guys. And uh, yeah, we're really excited about the future. And just very, very glad that we can keep this show rolling. And just, again, one final reminder, we will keep posting to SoundCloud and iTunes up until the first game. So don't look for new episodes there once that uh, once the first game hits. You can find the game recap and game preview episodes for free on Dog Sports Radio. You can access our premium content, for which we have some pretty cool ideas, if I say so for myself. We're going to try to roll out some cool things for our premium subscribers. And you can, you can uh, become a premium subscriber by subscribing to Podbean for $2 a month. But now, enough of all that. Let's talk some football and empty out this listener mailbag. The last one here in the preseason before we actually kick off the 2018 season. Uh, and of course, uh, with news that Zamir White, you, all, you guys all heard this. This is not news to you. But with all that news coming out that Zamir White, Zeus, the number one running back in the 2018 class, just so unfortunate. Just tore his ACL in his left knee during Saturday's scrimmage, uh, which is the, the other knee. The first knee was his right knee that he's been coming back from. Now it's his left knee. And so with all that news coming out over the weekend, many of the questions we got with this mailbag were very Zeus-centric. So we're going to start there. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that sent in questions about Zeus, uh, but there were some kind of overlap. So if we don't use your name, doesn't mean we don't like you. Please don't be offended. We just kind of picked one name out there because a lot of people ask the same question. Uh, so we're going to start there with all the Zeus stuff. We've got a couple questions about that. We'll move on to some different topics. But the first question here is from Benjamin. Appreciate the question, Benjamin. Uh, and Ben, it's more of a statement, uh, or I guess kind of a question here, but a, a pointed question, I guess is what I would say. He says, uh, why don't the majority of our fans understand the fact that you have to put the best players on the field, whether it is offense, defense, or or special teams. Now, Ben doesn't directly reference Zeus here, but it's pretty clear as what he's talking about, right? Uh, yeah, very clear. People are very upset. Some people, not all. There seems to be a divide here. People I've talked to and things I've seen and heard. Uh, some people are, are uh, upset about the fact that Zamir White got hurt on a special teams play during Saturday's scrimmage, saying it was unnecessary for him to be out there running on special teams when he's coming back from an injury. Ben seems to be on the opposite side of that, saying, look... Why don't you understand that we had to put our best players on the field regardless of whether it's offense, defense, or special teams? So, Kurt, where do you fall when it comes to that question? 
All right, well, first off, I want to say that, you know, it's not, you know, I hate it for Zeus and everything. I think the biggest thing people I remember is it wasn't even like you purposely picked him to be on the first team of special teams. If you had gone to the open practice, you could see where we were running like three different special teams groups at once. Yes. So it wasn't like he was on our number one special teams group that we were saying, all right, we're going to put your – we know you're coming back, but you're our guy on this special teams group. That wasn't the case. From what's being said, he was running, still running with the third group special teams. So people need to keep that in mind. Yes. And number two, I think one of the biggest things is when it comes to special teams, people really only focus on the returner, the people that are returning the kicks, or the people that are punting the ball. They really focus on those two positions when it comes to special teams. People don't really pay attention to all the gunners and all the people across the board. That's the one thing that they don't really pay attention to. So the last couple years, especially since Kirby's taken over, people haven't noticed or really paid as much attention to all the players that we've put on special teams that are actually big parts of our team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the list is pretty long. You go back, I mean, Sonny Michelle played on special teams. DeAndre Walker, who wasn't a star last year, but he's playing special teams. Lorenzo Carter is playing special teams. We have a lot of guys out there that play. Uh, DeAndre Swift, too, at times. Swift, sure. Absolutely. So, Sony missed a game or two, or uh, Chubb did. I can't remember the senior year, but Swift was on there, especially. Yeah. I mean, everyone has played, done their part. And that's one thing, I mean, people have to realize that, like, when uh, – this this new freshman class enrolled a couple weeks ago or back in June. Uh, it was talked about that like their first weekend on campus, uh, Kirby Smart and company had them in the meeting rooms so were showing them film of players that were first-round draft picks that were on special teams as freshmen and things like that. Mason Trent Richardson, Hunt. guys like that, yeah. So, I mean, they were showing them that from day one saying, you know, some of you may not get on the field right away, but this is a way for you to still make an impact on this team. I 100% agree with you. And I have a couple things to say about this. First one, I'm just going to ask you a, a pretty simple question. Would people be as upset about the situation if Zamir White was returning a kick rather than covering one in this situation? I, do, I, don't, I don't think there would be that much of an outrage. People say, you know, couldn't you have used someone else? But at the same time, they wouldn't have been as angry. They, would, you know, they wouldn't be questioning Kirby. And, I think, and, yeah. And I think I, another thing, too, is if Zeus had never gotten hurt, no one would ever question why someone like that was on special teams. Like, if he goes out there instead of getting Because hurt, guys are play, guys like that are on special teams. They play special teams. Well, and that's what I'm saying. If he goes out there and makes a play, people will be praising Kirby for having the guts or something to put him on the special teams and doing stuff like that. I agree. I mean, I'm going to go back to this. Remember a couple years ago? I think, I mean, Kirby's first year. Remember uh, people complaining about our special teams losing us some games that year? Uh in, in all in the, the Vanderbilt game, they returned that that opening kick down to like what inside the ten yard line. Of course, we had the the snafu against against uh, against Tennessee there. I mean, just and that was more of a decision thing. But still, our special teams was not good. Kirby's first year, and people were upset yeah, about that. That was a prime th- uh, prime thing under Mark Rick. You know, we were not very good in special teams under Mark yep. Rick, and that was because one of his one of the ways that he would reward you know walk ons walk ons the kids that never played. He would put them out there, and I mean, people would complain about that all the time. Yeah, they would complain. Why are our why are walk-ons out there? Why don't we have all these guys with scars? We put walk-ons out there on special teams. You hear that all the time. Yeah, you heard that all the time, especially like returning kicks. You see walk-ons who are just there to catch the ball. These that people. Why are they out there? Why not give you know a playmaker a chance? But then you go out there do it, and it's the other thing. And, and you know, I hate to say it, it's not just. I mean, it happens a lot with George fans. It probably happens with every fan base. 
but they can't they can't have it one way or the other. There's always Boom. someone that's gonna be angry. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I have here in my notes. You cannot have it both ways. You can't be in the crowd that was criticizing Kirby for our four special teams play two years ago and criticizing Rick for using all the walk-ons and keeping all the talented guys on the sideline doing special teams plays. You cannot criticize them for that and then criticize Kirby for having Zeus even working with one of the units on special teams. You simply cannot have it both ways. You can't demand great special teams play and then go crazy about a highly regarded player playing on special teams and getting injured. You cannot have it both ways. Especially, like, to me, and, and maybe I'm different. I, I, if you think about it, like, historically, special teams kind of gets the, the short shrift, right? Like, it's kind of like the third unit uh, where offensive defense is everybody's focus. But to me, I think this has pro- been proven. It's played out over the, over the years. Special teams is just as important as any other phase of the game. And the teams that realize that are the teams that win more often than not. I think that's very true. Now, special teams don't get as much focus as there's not as many special teams play or plays as there are offensive teams that plays each and every game. But those plays are just as critical, if not even more magnified because there's so few of them. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it in Kirby's first year, the, the Vanderbilt game. I mean, yeah, offensive teams didn't play great, but special teams cost us, you know, were the the breaking point of that game. Uh, Tennessee game, you know, uh, Rodrigo didn't have a strong leg that first year, so he doesn't kick the ball long enough, which allows him to throw the Hail Marys. Think about the Oklahoma game, the Rose Bowl. Think about the Rose Bowl, that play right before halftime. Tay Crowder snagging that ball, and, and Rodrigo being able to make that kick. We don't win that game without that without those two exactly. plays. That completely changed the momentum of the game, and it's things like that that special teams can bring. I mean, look at Alabama. As good as they've been the last decade since Saban's been there, the games they lose are always because of special teams more than usually. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's just as important as any other phase of the game, and I think people need to realize that. And I kind of go back to what you said, too, there, just kind of piggyback on what you are going, going with. This injury really, in my opinion – was not really a direct result of him working on special teams regardless. I think most of the complaining about what we've heard about with Zeus is the fact that uh, or most of the, the people that are upset about him playing on special teams is the, they, they're operating from the idea, the notion that special teams kind of has like extra and more intense contact than on any other random offensive play. And so it's inadvisable for a guy coming off an ACL injury to be working on special teams. But the thing is, and you mentioned this, this was a non-contact injury. This was a non-contact injury. It had nothing to do with him playing on special teams and it being more uh, more intense contact. It had nothing to do with that because it was a non-contact injury. And if you've ever seen us practice special teams work under Kirby Smart, almost all of it, at least that I've seen, I'm not saying all of it, what I've seen, it's almost all non-contact, like basically walkthrough type stuff, right? It really is. You and I were talking about this before uh, before the show that realistically, when you think of the, especially like with Zeus with a non contact injury, people say, well, you know, maybe he was doing something that he shouldn't have done. So do it. The fact of the matter is, when it, if, if you tear something like that in a non contact injury, it shows it was already weak. It's just it a matter weak. of time until it tears. Yeah, it, it, it's not a if it happens, it's a when does it happen. And the thing is, if you're complaining about him running downfield, which is all he was doing, he wasn't going to make a play. He wasn't, he, they, they say he was like 50 yards from the play. So he wasn't going to make a play. So if he did that, if he tore his ACL doing that way and if you went to open practice you saw him running those drills where he was cutting doing all everything the other running backs were doing he could have very easily have done it right then yeah if he didn't if it didn't pop like it did on that special teams play he was going to pop one in time one of the times him carrying the ball i mean eventually it was going to it was going to pop uh, that, that's an unfortunate real, real you know it, i mean look i'm not a doctor but it, it this is not uncommon where where you're rehabbing from one injury from one knee and you, all the work, you overcompensate. It's just natural. Even if you're trying not to, it's just natural. You overcompensate. Even just doing daily stuff, just walking, bending over, going up and down stairs. Trust me, I've come back from plenty of injuries. I, I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of racing, running marathons, half marathons. Trust me, I've been there, and I know you try not to overcompensate, but you do, and you end up hurting something else on the other leg. And it sounds like that's something that very well could have happened here with Zamir. Uh, it's just highly unfortunate. I'm truly. 
I'm sick to my stomach for the kid. I, I, I am sickened by what has happened to him because from all accounts, this is just an outstanding grade A, 100% class type guy, Nick Chubb level type guy who does everything the right way. And he works so hard to come back from this and it breaks my heart for him. I, I, I mean, my heart is breaking for this kid. Uh, I just I hope to God that he can get back. And I think he will with, with the determination that he has and the grit he plays with and, and, and we'll attack this with. But like, I think we'll be fine. We'll talk about that here in a second. But I just I'm my heart breaks for the kid right now, man. I just I wish him nothing but the absolute best in coming back from this injury. Uh, and I, look, I, and so Kurt and I it seems like we're on the same page here. But I, I think some of you are probably on the other side of this, and that's okay. But I, I'll just close it here by saying I have absolutely zero issue with Zamir White working on special teams units, and I, and I do not blame that for the injury. Uh, and like I, I could be wrong here, but that's just kind of how I see it. And Kurt, it seems like you're on the the same page with me there, right? I mean, I think the thing is, it's, it's terrible they got hurt. But if we were to go out there and lose a game because we didn't have our best players on the field, yeah. then then he still has to answer. Yeah, I agree. And, I agree. and, and you, you get more outraged when you lose a game than when a kid gets injured. Unfortunately, that's just, just yeah, just yeah. Typically, that's that's yeah, that's the case. All right, a couple more questions here about Zeus. Maybe we won't we won't talk about these as much because. I think that first one was the the big topic and why, why people are so upset about this, uh, or a lot of people are so upset about this. And the second question on this topic comes from Cozy. Appreciate the question, my man. Uh, and he asks, with Zeus's injury, how do you now see the running back situation filling out? I think it's pretty clear, right, Kurt? Um, I think, I mean, I see this thing. You and I talk about it. I don't think Zeus was going to make a huge impact in the first part of the season. Um, and I think you were going to try to see, you know, we had talked about him coming on more the fourth, the fifth, sometime around there. So I think what this means is that we are going to have to rely on different types of sets of maybe, you know, we had talked about how great James Cook had been doing. But I don't think he was still going to go out there carrying the ball 10 times and things like that. Well, just in different ways. He might get 10 touches, 10 carries, but just in different ways than than what you might see Zeus getting in carries. Exactly. So I think what we're going to realistically do is just run different sets and try to get the ball in his hands, you know, with some more passes, different matchups, things like that. And we're going to have to rely on um, Holyfield and Harrion more. I mean, we're we're already realistically going to have to rely on them. But I think that you're you're going to have to just say this is the fact of the matter is that you are our first three. I, I agree with that, and I and I don't know. Like I, I I've always felt like Holyfield is a better player than Harry, and I don't think it's it's a, a significant difference there. I, I just prefer Holyfield myself. I think his lateral quickness is is, is top notch. I think he runs with great power. Uh, he has great low pad level. And Harry is a good back too. So I think Holy I think Swift's going to be number one, right? I mean that's pretty clear. I think Holyfield and Harry are, are number two and number two A. I, I don't see a, a massive difference there, but I, I think that was going to be the case largely anyway. Through the first half of the season, even if Zeus was, even if this injury did not happen, because I think, like you said, he was going to be working back from this injury. We talked about this last week, and I don't know what percentage he was going to be at if he hadn't hurt this injury, hadn't hurt this other knee, this left knee. But I, I just did not expect him to be 100% early on. I thought by the middle of the season he would work his way into potentially being that number two back once he got more comfortable, once the knee got closer to 100%. But now it just, I mean, really, what this changes for us is I think we have one less weapon, we have one less guy there in terms of depth. Um, one less guy sharing carries and taking pressure and, and, and carries off other guys, but it just means that Holyfield Harry and are going to have to go the distance with us for us as the number one, as number two and potentially three back, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing. So a lot of people, you know, us included, were saying, you know, Zeus may take over by the middle of the season as our true number two back. Well, that's not realistic, but I, anymore. But I still think that. I'm not. I don't think that Holyfield is a slouch. That people are forgetting, you know, thinking of him that he's a better back than what people are giving him credit for. It's gonna be. And this is a question I've been kind of playing with in my mind over the past couple of months here as we get ready for the season. Like, we knew Zeus was probably going to be playing, but what? what 
percentage of health would he be at? Like, would he truly be his old normal self? So to me, it's like, okay, well, let's say if Zeus was like 85% and Holyfield was 100%. Who is who's a better player? Is it eighty five percent of Zeus better than one hundred percent of Holyfield? And I, I don't I, I don't know the answer. And we're not going to be able to find out this year. We're never going to find that out. I thought we would find it out. And that's one of those things I was kind of curious to watch early in the season. And I probably would have leaned towards Holyfield being one hundred percent over Zeus being like 90 percent, whatever he would be. We don't really know. Um, and I, but I I think Holyfield is a really good player. I, I don't know if he's I don't think he's necessarily a Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle caliber type guy. Uh, but I think he is more than capable of being a top-notch SEC back for us. I really believe that. And you, and you couple him with DeAndre Swift probably as the number one option. You bring Harry in there. Uh, you, of course, you got James Cook could be a change of pace. And I, I, look, I don't know if James Cook – maybe James Cook can run between the tackles with all of them. Maybe he can do that. We just, we're kind of assuming that he can because he's maybe a little slighter yeah, than I mean, the other guys. Yeah, think about it. When Swift first got on campus and you first saw him only carrying the ball around the edge and catching yeah. the ball, you never thought this guy should be our number one guy. Yeah, that's true, and, and and Swift is thicker than James Cook. I'll say, I mean, Swift's two hundred fifteen pounds. So he's short. I've said this all along. Swift is not a small guy. He's just short. He's like five nine, but like two hundred fifteen pounds. He's a, he's a thick dude. But uh, you know, you a guy like James Cook, he's probably about one hundred ninety five pounds right now. So he's not quite as thick as DeAndre Swift. And look, he probably would not hold up as well between the tackles. But we don't know that he cannot do that. We're kind of assuming he can because he's smaller than the other guys. But we don't know that he cannot do it. Uh, We'll see, and maybe our, in our obviously our coaches have a better feel for that right now, and I'm sure we'll have different things that we want to do with James Cook because he can be more. He 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 does have that versatility, being able to use him out there in the slot, potentially use him on jet sweep things like that. Like I mean, I I think it's probably safe to say his his he's most dangerous in space, right? But I'm not sure that we can just sit here and say for sure that he cannot run between the tackles because his brother was pretty good at that. Dalvin was – I know they're two totally different guys, but Dalvin wasn't a big guy either, and he ran just fine between the tackles. So I'm not going to sit here and just say that James Cook cannot do that. Maybe not, but we'll we'll find out. I just I don't want to just completely, you know, shut that possibility off right now. Uh, all right, let's go on to the next question here. One more question about Zamir White. It's from Caleb. He's looking at this from a recruiting perspective, which I, I think is interesting because not a lot of people are mentioning this. But Caleb, uh, appreciate the question, man. He asked if Zamir's injury causes him to redshirt, would that hurt our chances holding on to John Emery? Kurt, do you see any potential drawbacks? With Emory, with when in terms of Zeus's injury, could it affect I, us there? I don't think so because the realistic thing is, all right, say Zeus redshirts, okay, he would be a redshirt freshman. He could still go pro as a sophomore, like you saw with right. Noshaw Marino or something right. like that. You just got to be I three think, years removed from high school. That's it. I think the the only thing that truly matters with Emory is the taking another person with him, where there is no class separation. Yeah, Zeus would still be a redshirt freshman, but there's still one year of class separation with the one one year out of high school. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking at here. I, I really, my answer to this would be, I really don't think it's going to have much of an impact on John Emery, because even with the injury, the fact fact is, as you were saying, Kurt, these days for the most part, running backs and really any position in general, but especially running backs, they don't stay five years. They really don't. Uh, no, it's it, not like other positions. No, they just don't. I mean, it's, I mean, if you're a top level athlete, the chances of you staying four to five years are becoming increasingly thin. Especially, especially at running back where you have short. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have a very small window to make some money, and you don't want to you don't want to put all of the tread on those tires in uh, in college if you can avoid it. So, if Zeus, if Zeus does come back healthy and he does return to his old self, I still can see this guy as being a three and out type guy, like you said, like Noshawn Marino. I mean, had two, we had two years with Noshawn; he was gone because he registered his first year. So, I don't really think it messes with the class separation all that much. Uh, and let's say if if Zeus does end up staying four to five years, I think what that means. Is that he wasn't good enough? He he never regains his form from the injury. Yeah, he would never be back to himself. Right. He still wouldn't affect him. Right. I mean, exactly. I think the thing that matters most is 
when Emory gets here, how many people are ahead of him? That's not changing with Zeus Redshirt. I, I agree. I agree. I, I I just don't see it. And like I said, if he stays for four to five, he doesn't stay four to five years. That what that means to me if, is if that he wasn't good enough to go pro. And if he's not good enough to go pro, is he going to be that much of a threat to John Emery? You know? So, yeah. One of the, you mentioned this a second ago, though. Do you think this makes it more likely for us to try to take a number, a second running back in this 2019 class with the uncertainty around how Zamir is in return from this injury? Um, it could. And that, no, to me, I, that's I the thing that can impact Emory. I don't think it does. You don't think it will? No. I tend to agree with you right now because we're so far into the 2019 class and recruiting this class, and we've got our board set. And you know, we could certainly go revisit the board. But well, here's here's the thing: Do you want to take a chance in losing Emory and still only having one, or you also got to look at it is numbers game. All right, realistically, if that happens and Holyfield, Harry, and them are gone, then you lose all three probably at one year. With Swift maybe going pro, and the other two going as seniors. So then all of a sudden you've got. Cook as your truly only upperclassman. The thing is, that hurts you the next class, 2020, because that's where we want to take two kids. Right. Because that's the class. We have to take two backs in 2020. We have to. Exactly. And if we took two in this class and then one in uh, 2020, it really hurts numbers because of the separation and the way the numbers go. Yeah. It'll be. And I was going to think about this class. We already have so many spots filled. We only have so many spots remaining, you know? There's so few spots remaining. And like if we take if we decide we want to take another running back, does that mean we go to a guy who's already committed and say sorry, we need to take a running back so we can't take you anymore? Yeah, I mean, see that, the, you do the, that. Running back, the running back's not our most important need. So do we all of a sudden take it from another position of need where we actually need some kids? How do you make that decision? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I think a lot of it also might deal with okay, how how well does James Cook play this year? How well does Holyfield play? Does Herring decide to transfer? Does this, or does somebody decide to transfer? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here. But I think if I had to pick right now, I'd say we stick at one running back in this 2018 class, which I think would be what John Emery is looking for, and therefore he would more than likely stick with his commitment. Uh, all right, next question. Let's get off the Zeus train here for a few minutes. Uh, this is from Cliff. Appreciate the question, man. Cliff asks, from a recruiting standpoint, was losing out on DJ Daniels to South Carolina that big of a deal? Kurt, was it a big deal? Honestly, no, because the thing I look at is – we already have – We have, I mean, right now, you have two to three guys that are competing for that one corner spot opposite DeAndre Baker. Um, right. And the thing is, when this time comes next year, one of those guys will probably solidify himself. And say is Mark Webb. Well, then you still have a freshman, Tyson Campbell, who's definitely the guy. Who, who's going to play somewhere for us at some yeah, point. going to play somewhere. And the thing is, you got to think about is, was, um, was he better – than the guys we have on campus and the freshmen that we want to take. Is he does, is he that much better of a player, or do we want someone who we actually have time to train up, coach into our system, and be there for the long haul, where the JUCO people are usually wanting to be uh, one and done. You know, as close to one and done as they can, as as you see with a Jermaine Johnson, who's more than likely going to be a one and done. Yeah, and typically like you recruit guys from the JUCO ranks with the expectation of them being one and done. That's usually it's kind of like a, it's almost like a graduate transfer. I mean, it's a different animal, but it's it's a similar concept. Like I think Kirby recruits these guys hoping, like you know what, I want this guy to come in and fill a spot for us to kind of just you know tide us over until we can get the the the, the young guys in here, get the recruiting classes we need to fill those spots, and this guy can kind of be a bridge for us for one year, and then he's gone and he clears that spot out and he can go out and recruit somebody else to replace him. Exactly as bad as it sounds, you look at a left tackle. 
Um, we bring in Hayes to be at the left tackle. He never, he never, you know, he never panned out, and he's and, and he's eating and, up a roster spot for his second year. Exactly, he's eating up a roster spot, and it's it's to the point where you're hearing that we're having to cross train Kendall Baker at left tackle because we don't trust Hayes as our number two guy. Yeah. So we have to prepare Baker to be if something happens to Thomas, we have to prepare Baker to move over there. That's and so like we said, that's eating up a roster spot, and that's the dangerous things with JUCOs. But the last you know five to ten years, we've been especially at the University of Georgia, we've been really burned by JUCOs. When was the last JUCO? we got that really truly panned out well for us. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's been a while. I mean, like like a true at, Juco guy? You, you even look oh, at no. Crumpton. I mean, as good as he is, he may help us on special teams and things like that, but it's, he, it's very difficult for him to break into the lineup of wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't play any more than he did last year, I, I, like, how how useful was it bringing him in? Exactly, and that's another roster spot. I mean, we struggled. We had to play games just to work in the 25. John John Atkins was he, was he JUCO? I know he signed with us out of high school, but then he, he went he to Georgia like military. Floyd. He was like a Leonard. Yeah, Floyd. yeah, his what? Yeah, him and Floyd kind of did that thing. Went to, went to Georgia military, right? GMC, whatever it's or called. Or like the Hargrave. Hargrave, yeah, Hardgrave. yeah. So it's a little bit different, but a true JUCO guys, we haven't had like we haven't had as long track as those guys. Wims is the only. Wims, yeah. Okay, how can you forget about Wims? Yeah, Wims really did work out for us. So that's a, that's a big one that definitely worked out. But more often than not, it, that going that route hasn't really panned out for us. Uh, and look. I also want to say with this one, I agree with you. I don't. I, I was not at all like affected by this. I and I know it's easy to say that now. You can say, "Oh, that's just sour grapes." You missed out on a guy. No, like I, I think DJ Daniels is a good player. I really do think Daniels I is mean, a I good player. I would have been happy to have. Sure, him. I would have taken him. But I don't think he's better than what we have on campus right now and what we're recruiting right now. Yeah, I, I think he's a good player. I don't want to downgrade him just because he ends up at South Carolina. But I, I will say, I think he was far from a make or break guy. Kind of what you were saying there, and and I also think you have to factor in how this went down. Uh, and look, I I I will say I've heard different things, and it really de- de- it depends on how you determine what what, what went down. Like, who do you trust? All right, when when it comes to how this actually went down, most of the people I have talked to about this that have more direct knowledge of this than I do are pretty adamant that what happened was at the last second we told him as a coaching staff we weren't prepared to accept his commitment right now. Now there had pretty, pretty much saying to hold off like we had about two weeks ago when he tried two weeks ago. Right. It's my and that's why I was gonna say yeah. It's been my understanding that. Again, based on based on people, what people I trust have told me is that he has been trying to commit for a couple of weeks now. But we've been asking him to kind of hold off because we were waiting to hear from guys that are higher on our board. And I, I can't confirm that's one hundred percent true. I don't know. I, I have heard from a person or two that that we were surprised that he ended up going to South Carolina. But most of the people I've talked to, the people that I really trust, uh, are pretty adamant in saying that no, like we told him that he couldn't commit, and that that kind of aligns. With what I, with what, with what he said, you know, the day he committed to South Carolina, he said they asked him like, you know, when did you decide on South Carolina? He's like this morning, and that so that kind of aligns with what he said himself when he did commit to them that morning. And I, I mean, mean, if you watched it, you saw the, the shock in his own mother's face. Yeah, she was like, whoa. And I think one thing you have to think about too, and this is not really being talked about that much with him, like this guy is not going to end up being an early enrollee. I think there was some confusion of whether he would enroll early or not. But it's my understanding that he is not enrolling early now and that we cooled on him because of that. Like, like what we were talking about earlier with Juco guys, especially if you think that they're going to be one and done and that's what you want, that's what they want ideally, then you want them to come in early because they have such a short time with you anyway. If you don't enroll early, you might be better off using that scholarship spot for someone else who might be with you for three to four years. So again, I don't know exactly how it went down. I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the facts. I don't. I'm just from talking to some people – it seems like there's a really good chance that we kind of just told him, like, hey, man, like, I don't know if we're ready to accept your commitment right now, and so therefore he ends up at South Carolina. So good player. Uh, I don't think it's a make-or-break kind of guy, and I, I think we'll be fine moving forward. I think really what will determine whether this was something that's going to hurt us or not is 
who ends up with those spots? Like the spot that he would have potentially taken, who do we end up getting in that spot? If it's somebody that's higher, that's better than him, then obviously we're fine. If we end up getting scraps instead of him, then maybe it'll hurt us. But I don't think that's going to be the case if you look well, at Kirby Smart's track record. Practice, all right, I look at it like this. He's a good player that would have gave it, given us depth at that position. Sure. But he's not a make it or break it. And I think another thing that has to be mentioned is his, he seemed pretty set on wanting to come to Georgia. And he's not. he probably won't sign till February or something like that. There's a still time. Like I think Juco signed in December, but it's still a while. Yeah. Even if we don't get who we want, I think there's still time to get him back in the fold. Yeah, it is possible. It's recruiting. Yeah, it's recruiting. We'll see. You know, and when female guys, if if indeed that he did just assign with South Carolina and it wasn't a matter of of us telling him that he couldn't commit right now, we flipped a lot of guys last year. And if we really want him, like you said, then we still have time. Still have time. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Recruiting is a fickle beast, no doubt. Uh, all right, next question. Got one more here on the recruiting front. We'll get into some more team stuff. This question comes from Jesse. I appreciate the question, my man. And Jesse asks, who is more likely to be a true left tackle, Warren McClendon or Xavier Trust? Both guys part of the 2019 uh, class right now, Kurt. Who do you see as a more true, prototypical left tackle prospect? Um. Well, I, well Trust is a huge, big-body guy. I actually probably go with uh, – or, I mean, I, I, go with, I go with Trust. As more of a true left tackle prospect? Well, the thing is, to me, McClendon, realistically, future to me, is, the thing is, he reminds me of uh, Cade Mays, kind of. He doesn't have the super long arms. Okay, that's uh, he. See, the thing for me is, neither one of these guys have super great. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It could be similar. He could be closer to an, uh, you know, McClendon could be closer to an Isaiah Wynn. He could, you know, who doesn't have the super long arms, but was still able to do it. He could do that. But if I had to go with anything, I think McClendon would be more successful on the inside. I I might disagree with you just a little bit on this one. I think that McClendon is more athletic right now than Xavier Trusses. I think both guys no, are good I prospects. I don't argue with that at all. I, I, yeah. I agree. And I honestly don't know like if either one of them is going to long term end up being that a left tackle. I, I, but I would say McClendon has a better chance. Uh, right, he's not as he's not quite as big. Truss is six five and a half, pushing six six, like three hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, reminds me a lot more of a of a Isaiah Wilson type guy, where he he can definitely play on the on the edges there. But I think he's more of a right tackle prospect. Where I, and I could also see him playing on the interior, although that the the height there, I don't know if I like him on the interior as much, but. I could see him more as a right tackle than left tackle. I just don't know if he has the foot speed, the quickness, the athleticism to consistently hold up against speed rushers on that left side, on the blind side of our quarterback. Uh, and, I, and I'm not 100% sure that McClendon is that guy. Because you said you're right. He doesn't have outstanding arm length. Although I, although I do think his arm length is a little bit more than uh, just from looking at the guys. I mean, this is completely unscientific. I haven't seen any measurements whatsoever. I think his, might, his arms might be a little bit longer than Truss. Uh, so, because of his athleticism, maybe a little bit longer, I would put him as the guy that's more likely enough as a as a left tackle long term. But uh, we'll see how it plays out. Both those guys, I'm just happy to have both of them on board. I think both of them will be really good players for us down the road. Uh, all right, next question here from Wendell. Uh, appreciate the question, Wendell. Wendell asks when Kurt and I've been talking about this for a while. And Kurt, you kind of thrown some cold water on me on me when I when I bring this up. But Wendell brings up what I think is a good question with Kirby talking about needing to find leaders. Who are you guys looking towards to take on those roles? So, Kurt, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, who are you looking towards to being our leaders? Um, offensively, I think you definitely – I mean, two people jump off to me right away is uh, Lamont Gilliard as you know, the, the main upperclassman, a starter, three-year starter on the offensive line. And you also have to look at Terry Godwin. Yeah, I've got both those guys on my list for sure. Upperclassman, been around the block a couple times, played a lot of football for us, played some serious downs and meaningful minutes or meaningful situations. 
Uh, I also have Jake Fromm on my list. I know he's only a sophomore. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's a probably a great choice, especially a quarterback and everything. Um, and uh, you know, I probably did miss out on. Yeah, that. the way he goes with goes about his business, the respect he engenders among his teammates, even though he is still young. Uh, just by nat- and really just by virtue of the fact you play that position, you almost kind of thrust into that into that role. Regardless, I think Fromm kind of feeds off that anyway. I think he's that kind of guy. He's loud. He's vocal. Uh, and I, I think his teammates will rally around him. So I think those three guys for sure offensively. Uh, defensively, though, who are you looking at? Because we lost a lot of leaders off that defense. Uh, right away, I look at John Ledbetter first. Off. Number That's one for sure. Uh, DeAndre Baker. Ah, Baker. Yeah. See, I didn't have him. That's a good one. And J.R. Reed. Baker, because he is, you got to look at it, he's a third-year starter now in the defense. Um, one of, you know, probably look, he's being looked at as one of the best uh, DBs in the SEC, especially. Um, yeah. So you're hoping that he can step up and do that. And J.R. Reed, I mean, you know, he represented us at um, SEC Media Days and things. So you can see that he's taken on more of a role. So to me, those three upperclassmen really jump off to me right away. I mean, you can maybe throw Nate Trez yeah, in there. Yeah, I was throw Nate Trez in there. Who can use his experiences of being in trouble, trying to you know do it the right way to try to do that? But you know those four to me, or those three, and then throw in they trust to make four are the four that really have to be your upperclassmen leaders. And you can hope people like Richard LeCount, who has always tried tried to have been a leader, can you know step into that role. But you're asking a lot for him to do it as a first year starter. But so that's why I go with those four. I didn't agree with you there. Do you think that that leadership group, offensively and defensively? can uh, match what we had last year from a leadership standpoint with guys um, like Sony and Nick and and uh, Lorenzo, all those kind of guys? You know, they don't have the story career, or especially on the offensive side of the ball that Nick and Sony did, but people also have to realize that Nick and Sony didn't become those true leaders that they were until this final season. Um, you know, a lot of the year before when they were juniors, especially Nick and Sony, people, uh, Kirby kept calling them out, asking, begging, saying, you know, I'm begging for them to be vocal leaders. You know, they do things the right way, but they also don't go out there and lead every day for, the, for their players. And then on defense side of the ball, you see like people like Dab and Lorenzo, who at times some of them question their, their effort and things like that their junior year. Yeah, absolutely. That that was kind of a, a knock on Davin up until his last year. I think there were even times last year. I mean, Davin was a really good player for us, but there were times where he took plays off. Let's be real. There were times. There's no doubt. Um, yeah, so that's, I think that's fair. I, I think one thing we always have to remember about this when we're talking about leadership with Kirby Smart is that he does such a great job of cultivating that. Uh, he teaches these guys how to be leaders. I mean, that's a big focal point for him. He does a lot of different things with them uh, that, that that's behind the scenes that we don't get to see, but you just hear a few things about – and I think he just does a great job of preparing these guys to fill those roles. It's not just like he's you know some coaches just say okay well whatever happens happens whatever steps up steps up that's fine and there's a, there's a degree of truth in that, but I also think you have to go about building leadership and I think Kirby and staff do a great job I, of I doing think, that. I think it actually comes from the way Kirby played in college. I mean let's be honest he wasn't the most talented, but he did things the right way and he played hard and he, you know I think he was one of those guys that outworked uh, you know that's how he played he out, had to outwork everyone else. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's in, uh, I think that's the philosophy that he tries to bring to his team, and you know, it's still on people. I definitely agree with you. I agree with you. All right, next question here from Christopher. Thanks for the question, man. Uh, and this is a guy that you know we did our our, uh, our preseason exam show last week. Where I gave you a, a test, a preseason test, which you passed to your credit. Allowed you to stay on the show. Glad to still have you here. Uh, but one of the questions I asked you was: uh, Is true or false? Was Kendall Baker the most vulnerable returning star to? Or is, was he the returning star most vulnerable to losing his spot, right? Something like that. And you said true. So we've been on this for a little while. So Christopher has a follow-up question. If Kendall Baker was going to lose his position on the offensive line, then who would replace him and why? Um, I 
think realistically you have to look at people like, uh, you know, um, Solomon Kinley, mm-hmm. um, who has a lot of experience there. Then you also have to look at freshman uh, Cade Mays, who's getting a lot of reps there, and Jamari Salyer, who, I mean, most people penciled in to possibly become a starter no matter what. What about Trey Hill? Does he factor into it at all? Um, he could, but I think Trey Hill has is very similar to Isaiah Wilson. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And Hill's getting some work at center, a lot, a good amount. From what I understand, a good amount of work at center right now, uh, with the twos. Uh, look at, and I'll go back to Baker here for a second. I I want everyone to be clear. This I don't want to. I don't want it to seem like I'm just trying to kill Kendall Baker. I'm just trying to be objective and as honest as I possibly can in my assessment of how he played last year. I do think that Kendall Baker did a good job for the most part last year. I really do. I think he he was good for us, but he wasn't great for us. And I think the big issue is. He does not provide the ideal size that we want on the interior. It just doesn't like his size. What he, you know, what he brings to the table from a physical standpoint doesn't really align with what we want to do and what we want to be offensively. I mean, just look at the guys we have recruited for evidence of that. Look at the size of the guys we're bringing in, and look at what Sam Pittman's brought in in his past at Arkansas most recently. I do think Kendall Baker is a good player. But because of his, his size and the lack thereof compared to some of the other guys he's competing with, I think there are some limitations to what he can do and what we can do with him in there uh, as a starter. I, and, and just for example, look, he wasn't the only guy that got beat by Bama, but he got flat out whipped by Alabama I mean, time again. If you, if you watch the film from the, this last year, a lot of the times where some plays got blown up or mistakes are made, yes. it's him looking around. Yes, him looking around, him getting blown in the backfield. It reminded me a lot of what we saw from Cobano in 2016 at center. I know they played different positions, but he would get pushed in the backfield far too often. And, and that was largely because he's just not big enough to play on the interior and to do and execute what we want him to do. Now, if we played a, a true spread type offense, he's plenty big enough. He's fine. But with us still wanting to do a lot of power stuff offensively, run the football right at people and impose our will on them, that's not really who Kendall Baker is. Now, there have been reports that he's gotten bigger, put on some more weight in the offseason. But still, if you look at the roster, he's, well, he's listed at 305. We're looking at guys like Solomon Kinley listed at 335, Salyer right around there, Cade Mays in the 320 range. He's just not as big as those other guys, and that's something. And he, he does a good job with technique for the most part. His hand placement's pretty solid for, for the most part, but he just the size thing is something that you cannot get around. And you mentioned the options there. I agree with you on all the options. Solomon Kinley's a guy who started the majority of the season last year at right guard uh, before giving way to Ben Cleveland after that horrific performance against Auburn on the road there. Well, Kinley's in the mix there at left guard. At left guard. I think he's a guy that's got a lot of playing experience for us that could come in and be an option there. He brings more size to the equation. Salyer, we know what kind of talent this guy has. I, With him not being an early enrollee, I question how ready he'll be. Uh, early in the year, I don't know if maybe by the towards the end of the year, middle of the year, he'll be that guy. Salyer's having a little trouble picking up the offense. Yeah, I mean, and that's just natural. And that's not to, to to dig on him. I mean, that's just natural for a guy coming in. He, well, he's been practicing with us for what now? Two and a half weeks, three weeks, and that's oh, just natural. Uh, and Cade Mays is the guy you mentioned. He's the guy that I might look at as my number one option right here. I do too. I mean, that's the. I mean, I'm not saying it's Kenley. I think Mays brings you more I think he's got better footwork I think he's quicker off the ball and I think he's just a better player yeah and, and the, well, we haven't seen Mays at the college level we've seen Kinley what we do know from Kinley is that he can do a good job but he lost his starting job okay he's already lost one starting job now not to say he can't get better he can improve he can and I'm rooting for the guy I hope he does a good job for us I hope he is good he raises his game and his play to the level uh to what we need in order to really be a truly dominant offensive line. And I think we're, we're getting close to that. I, I do think left guard is the one spot that I'm kind of like, mm, and maybe Kinley can be that answer. But I'm just looking at, at Mays. Again, I haven't seen this guy play in college. We've seen him from high school level. We know he's a highly regarded guy. 
But I'm just kind of look at the tea leaves and read between the lines here. I know that we move guys around a lot and cross-train them on the offensive line, but we know that Cade Mays, for a fact, spent at least three days last week working at left guard. Kirby said this himself last week in a press conference. He spent at least three days last week working at left guard, working a lot with the number one unit. Now, maybe that's just a case of normal cross-training of a young guy, but if so, if you're just cross-training him at left guard and giving him a look there, my question would be, why do you have him working with the one, the number one unit? You know what I mean? You could very easily just get him reps with two or something. Right. If, if, if it's just a matter of him getting some, some reps there and getting, a, and getting a comfort level and you just want to see what he, what he does there, you would have him working with the twos or threes. Why would you plug him in there with the ones? Unless you were seriously considering making that move or giving him an opportunity to win that job. I'm just throwing that out there. And again, I don't know that for sure, but I think it's something, again, trying to read between the lines. I think that there's, there's some, there may be something to that. Maybe it's not week one or week two, but I wouldn't be shocked if Cade Mays takes that job at some point uh, if he's getting reps with the ones right now at that position. Uh, all right, next question here uh, from Alvin. Thanks for the question, Alvin. Ask us, could you see Justin Fields playing the whole second half against Austin P if the dogs are up by at least four scores at halftime? I would say this first. I just hope we are up by that much. Uh, obviously, we should be playing Austin P, but I'm just superstitious when it comes to things like that. I don't just want to assume that we're going to be. We should be, of course. But I just want to put that out there, Kurt. But if we are up by at least four scores at halftime, do you see Justin Fields playing that entire second half? I don't. I see this coming out with Brom actually start the second half because I still think they want to instill the mentality of you know having to come back and be sharp after being out. You know, taking that twenty minute halftime. Okay, I, I tend to agree with you. How much time do you think Fromm would get if that's the case? And that's the year. How much time would he get in the second half? I think it depends on how crisp the offense looks on that first drive. If they come out still looking crisp, you know, making all the plays, not you know, not being uh, uh, nostalgic and things like that. If they come out there and just go out there and do it, then maybe one one series. If they go in there, put the ball in the end zone, one series, and then he's done. But if they are out there, you know, messing up, committing penalties, uh, you know. Just, just not making the plays, not being Chris, then they may force them out there for another series two till they're up to the coach's standards. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this one. I think what you would probably see in that situation, and this again, it's just speculation, but I would probably speculate that you would see Fromm get one more possession after half just to kind of get in the rhythm and get that feel of, uh, of coming out after the half and being with your team out there and kind of just getting a little bit more rhythm. But I certainly would not be surprised to see Fields if that first possession for Fromm or that first possession or two for Fromm go well, I would not be surprised at all to see Fields for the rest of the second half. Is that pretty much fair there? Oh, yeah. That's what it says. If Fromm comes out there and the offense is crisp, then you pull him and he puts the hat on and Fields goes out there and gets his uh, play for the rest of the game. Unless you go up by seven, 60 or 70 and you get the third string in there. God, when's the last time we beat somebody by 60? Well, I know. You know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. No, I, I totally understand. I'm just saying, man. Because be... you don't want to get it. Because Fields is going to take some important snaps at some point during the season. So you also yeah. don't want to get him in there. You know, sure. in meaningless time either. Yeah, I got you, man. All right, uh, next question here from Cliff. Uh, another one from Cliff here. Definitely appreciate it, Cliff. Cliff asks, what's the special team's outlook for this year? I think this is an important question, after we, especially after we talked about special teams to start the show. What, what is your overall outlook for our special teams this year, Kurt? Um, I think you're looking for, especially, you know, in the ret- uh, kickoff game, probably to have no returns, especially with Rodrigo coming back. Uh, field goal-wise, you're just hoping Rodrigo comes out there and looks consistent. I think the thing where you, we're most unsure of right now is in the punt game. Um, it's between Camarda and the graduate transfer. Yeah. 
Lemon but other Stratton. than that, I mean, especially a punt and kickoff return, you know, we don't know right away who our people are going to be, but we have plenty of options who give me a lot of confidence. And in uh, and, 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 and any of the positions, I think you're looking at D-Rob, Nicole, and Crumpton at kickoff or punt return. So I think I, I have the utmost confidence in all three of those guys. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> our special teams will be very similar to what we saw last it's year. Nice, it's nice to truly have a design special, a designated special yes. team. Also. I think that's a big part of this. It's one of the things I was going to mention here is I, I, again, I fully expect our special teams play to be very similar to what we saw last year. Our coverage units were great last year. You throw in the number one signing class where a lot of those guys that aren't starting right away could, could certainly find themselves in the mix there. It really greatly enhances the competition and the overall athleticism of, of your special teams units. I expect Rodrigo to continue to improve after what I think was a very good season for him last year. He really responded well, earned that scholarship. Uh, the return game should be explosive with Miko back. Uh, Akil Crumpton might factor in there. Maybe even a guy like Demetrius Robertson in the, on, in the kickoff game. But I think we have a lot of explosive options in the return game. Uh, punting would be the concern if there is a concern. But you mentioned Jake Camarda as the true fresh. I think he's look, he looks to be a solid option there right now. He's competing with a graduate transfer, Landon Stratton. Uh, so I, I think all the way around it looks pretty solid. You mentioned the fact that we have a dedicated special teams coordinator now, which is just – I think that's – just going to be even more. That's going to lead to even more improvement in our special teams. So I think that our special teams outlook is going to be, is going to be fantastic. I can't expect it to take a step back. I mean, why would it? I mean, can you think of a reason why our special teams would take a step back other than having a new punter? Uh, maybe you just don't. Yes, yeah, other than the punter, you really don't. I mean, you have Rodrigo for a year, uh, in year three, where it looks like he's finally he's built some more confidence, which should help him going into this next season. Yeah, I agree. I think that again, going back, I can't say this enough. The number one signing class, a lot of those guys are going to some serious playing time on special teams with their athleticism and their ability to, to make some big time plays for us. There increases competition, enhances athleticism. It's just going to be great all around. And you have a a uh, again a coordinator now as a special teams coordinator exclusively. I think that's just going to lead to some uh, some great improvement for us from a special team standpoint. Uh, question number 10 here. We've got a couple more left. This is from Brett. Kurt, you and I were texting about this yesterday, so we'll bring it up on the show here. Brett asks, what is your reaction to the news that Georgia is on the verge of signing a deal to play Oregon in Atlanta in 2022? Um, you know, it'd be cool to go to Oregon and Austin Stadium and everything, but in general, I think it's just great to uh, get that opponent. I know some people may not be happy it's in Atlanta, things like that, but I think just the opponent itself is what is so huge. Uh, it gives us a... I mean, you saw last year when we played Notre Dame. I know it was only week two, but for the month or two leading up to the to the um, season, you know that game was being sold on ESPN. All those other uh, you know the buzz it generates for your program. Exactly the buzz it generates, and also you can use it as a huge recruiting thing. Thinking like game one national television. Absolutely, your players are more focused. And, just le- and Kirby says, I mean, it leads to a better off season for the team. I buy into all of those things. And you mentioned, you know, there's some people who might whether this be a home-and-home home game, and I am one of those people. You guys, if you listen to the show, you know my feeling on scheduling. Uh, I hate these one-off games in Atlanta especially because Atlanta is nothing for me. This, again, this is just me coming from a personal perspective, from a fan perspective, a guy who goes to all these games. I, when we go to Atlanta to play, it, it does nothing for me. I, I love going to the SEC title game because there's so much on the line there. But these other games, like, God, I mean, t- going to downtown Atlanta to tailgate, like, what? Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. There's got to be something better than that. I mean, it, the fan experience of going to a place that you never, ever get to go. Like, going to South Bend was unbelievable. I cannot explain to people who did not get a chance to go how incredible that experience was. And, and all the trips that I made when we travel to places that we don't normally go, Colorado, whatever it might be, it's just fantastic from a fan perspective. Uh, so I, selfishly, I would have preferred this be a home-and-home. Home. We had that scheduled a couple years back, but then we canceled that. Uh, 
but which I was very upset with because I would love to go to the Pacific Northwest and go to Oregon. But I will say, like, I'm I'm happy that we're scheduling a game like this against a good Power Five opponent rather than playing a team like Austin P. Right? Yeah. The the one thing I want to mention is, like, you know, we were talking about this. I'm actually more for this one one thing, you know, because a lot of the time when you schedule these these you know home and home home and home things, yeah, you don't know how good they're going to be. Well, you don't know how good they're going to be, and it's so far away, so much changes. Because I remember we had at one point had it scheduled with Ohio State. Yeah, we had a. Like, I think we had a memorandum of understanding with them, and then they and went they to a nine-game schedule and they backed out, which exactly. which pisses so, me off because that they still are playing other teams in Power Five. But they backed out of that. I whatever. But see, that thing so much can happen because you have to you have to schedule it so far out. It worked out well for you know us going to their date, but. It hasn't worked out because before we've had Louisville, we've had Oregon, um, we've had a lot. But of that games. was that was also a lot of the, the Louisville and the Oregon. That was us pulling out of that. Well, I know, but I, well, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's them, but I'm saying a lot of things happen. Yeah. Um, and, and and the thing is, with the one on one off thing, it allows us to. You see, with Alabama, I mean, they're not doing as much with uh, Louisville this year, but they actually get to pick some of their opponents like a year or two out that. They it generates more things for the program, like when they can schedule USC quickly, or they can schedule, um, you know, um, Florida yeah, State. Yeah, and, and I agree. Alabama does this a lot. We know they they have a tracker of doing this, but they don't I mean, always play Atlanta. They're doing some of these home and homes, which certain teams are are that's the only way you're going to play them. Notre Dame, they're not one of these. Yeah, teams Alabama has a home and home with Notre Dame. They schedule they schedule a home and home with Texas, which I'm very jealous that, of. They, there's no one they really do home and homes with because they've done they, Penn State in the past, which I would love to go to. It's been a while. It's though. been a while. It's been a while. But and, and I'll say this about Alabama too. Yeah, they do a lot of these one-off games in these neutral site venues, and I and that's fine. They don't and they play in Atlanta a lot, but they also move around. They go they'll go play in Jerry's World. They're going to play in Orlando at the Camping World Stadium this year. So if we're going to do these one-off games, I know like Atlanta, we, we want to play there because it's our natural recruiting base. But why don't we just go? Why don't we go play in the Jerry World game? You know that opening right, game. One I, year. I think that's one thing we're going to look at. I think because you also have to look at us recruiting wise. We're going into places like Texas and Louisiana. right. Like to me, so going to Texas and playing a game is a, does a lot more for us than going to Atlanta where we already have a presence. No, I agree, and I mean, you're gonna, I think you're going to see it rotate because like you saw Alabama, they've played teams in Atlanta, but they've also gone to Texas, so it doesn't happen every year. So we may schedule a one-off, one-off thing with someone soon where we go to Texas or we go to another, you know, place like that. It just, it just didn't work yeah. out this one time, but it's not saying the next time yeah. it's not going to happen. I agree. And look, I, I'm not trying to 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 completely diss this game with Oregon because I, I, look, I'm, I'm, I could just have a, a, a game. Yeah. Against look, it, it's a, it's a, it's an intriguing match, but I'm, I'm much rather I'm glad that we're at least trying to schedule a power five game like this i would prefer it not be in atlanta I prefer it not be a home and home. i know atlanta some people like atlanta in the dog nation because it's convenient i get that but i would prefer to, to do something different i think that would help us you know spread our profile and enhance our profile a little more uh but i don't hate this organ because it will be a big national matchup and there'll be a lot of eyes on this game now, i will say the one game i don't like is the is the 2020 game against virginia in the in, in mercedes-benz that opening weekend that game is worthless that does nothing for us. Playing Virginia in Mercedes Benz to open the year, like that's ridiculous. That's just a waste of game. I'm sorry. Like and now, if we now if you said we were playing Virginia home and home, we get to go to Charlottesville, dude. I'm all for that. But oh my god, Virginia of all teams. That, I mean, that's just that does nothing for me. Now, Oregon, now that does something for me. Even if it is in Atlanta, the opening weekend, I, I'm down with it. I can do it. I prefer it being on the road or you know home and home or a different side than Atlanta. But I can handle. It. I'm good with it. But the Virginia game, man, no way. Just, God, I can't believe we scheduled that. It's ridiculous. But that's part of, uh, you know, we have some connections there with their AD over there. Uh, but anyway, uh, next question here. Number 11, we've got two more. Question number 11 is from David. Uh, and if you guys listen to the show, you know that Curtis and I are, are 
at least I, I don't want to speak for you, Kurt, but I I, per, I I have gone on record saying that I am very high on Quay Walker, uh, and I like Channing Tindall as well. Uh, but I've 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 said since since we signed him, I think Quay Walker is the guy that I would take over Channing Tindall at inside linebacker. So David uh, is kind of picking back off off my off my comments there and asked me very simply, why do you like Quay Walker over Channing Tindall at inside linebacker? So Kurt, first question: Are you with me on that that you would that you would take Quay Walker over Channing Tindall at inside linebacker? Uh, especially in year one, you know, year okay. two things might change. I think the year one, the biggest reason I look at is body type. Yeah. Uh, Walker has the most, top, you know, the, the body type that's ready to go right now. I mean, we've talked about it he went, you know, in the spring. He had a body, when he signed, he had a body that he could have played right then for us in the spring. Dude, 6'4", 240. And I think that's the biggest thing. His body is the most ready to take the everyday beating of the SEC football and still hold up and go. And and you still have to match that up with his speed, uh, his, you know, and everything he does. And you also remember he played a lot of outside linebackers, so he's also good at shedding blocks and doing things like that, which Tindall, you know, he's Tindall's got the speed, but I think the shedding the blocks and things like that are what give Walker the edge also because he has the whole package Yeah. Right now. And I, I want to say here at the beginning, I really like Channing Tindall. I love yeah, them both. I'm not saying that Tindall's going to be not going to be a player because I think he is one of our future pieces to build around. Yeah. I just think that Walker is the most ready right now. For me, it's just the fact that Walker, in my opinion, has a higher ceiling. I think Tindall is a really good player, and I really like him. I think he's going to do a lot of really good things for us. I just think Walker, if he reaches that ceiling, has a higher ceiling. Now, who gets closer to their ceiling? I don't know. That remains to be seen. But if both those guys max out their ceiling, I think Quay Walker has a higher ceiling. Uh, now, looking at both these guys, kind of just quickly breaking down their games, Channing Tindall, he did play a lot more true inside linebacker in high school and is therefore probably more polished at reading and diagnosing and attacking downhill, like doing things that inside linebackers do. Uh, or at least good inside linebackers. He's got really great speed. I, I do think he's faster than Walker in a straight line. He will absolutely stick you in the hole. Like when he hits you, you go down. He, he's ex- he's an explosive athlete. So I really like Channing Tindall, but I just think Walker is more versatile. He has the ability to rush the passer, and he is he is a fairly polished pass rusher right now. He plays. He he has the ability to really excel playing in space. He's maybe not quite as fast as Tyndall, but I do think he's a more fluid athlete. T- there is a, maybe a slight bit of stiffness in Tyndall's game. There is no stiffness in Quay Walker's game. He's a very fluid athlete that changes direction, and I think redirects better than what Tyndall does, especially at that size. And while he might not be as fast as Tyndall, you got to factor in what he does in that frame that he's got. He's 6'4", 240, versus Tyndall, who's 6'2", maybe 220 right now. So yeah, Tyndall's a little faster, but Walker is not that far behind, and he's got a much bigger frame right now. He's just a more natural player in space. And if you look at, at look at that frame that he has, he's about the exact same size and frame as what a guy like Rolando McLean was coming out of high school. And that's exactly what the kind of guy that Curry made a living with at inside linebacker when he was a defense coordinator at Alabama. So I love both these guys. I really do. I think they're probably the two most talented inside linebackers that we have on our roster right now. But if I had to pick one over the other in terms of who I think long-term down the road has a higher ceiling, I'm still going to stick with Quay Walker. And I might be proven wrong. That's okay. But right now, if I had to pick, based on the athleticism that he has in the frame that he has, I would go with Quay Walker. Uh, All right, last question here from Jamie. This is a good question. I like this one. Uh, Jamie, appreciate the question, man. He asks, if you had the ability to ask Coach Smart a question about anything, what would it be? So, Kurt, if you could just shoot the breeze with Coach Smart and ask him any question in the world, what would you ask him? Uh, I'd probably ask for insight into the way he recruits because, I mean, that would be one thing. If you could learn to do what he does, then you could probably get a job doing most of anything. Yeah, no doubt, man. No, absolutely no doubt. 
Uh, and then they kind of asked him that question on, I think he was doing a 6, uh, six eight of the fan interview last week. And they asked him, like, you know, how are you such a good recruiter? And he was like, dude, it's easy, man. You got this university to sell. You know, you just do your thing. You work hard, and it, it sells itself. Uh, so I think that's, that's a good question. That really is. Uh, for me, if I could, there's so many things I would ask him. Mean, I don't know where to go with this. But I guess one thing I've always been really curious about with any coach, especially a guy like Kirby Smart, who does such a great job, not just recruiting guys, but evaluating and making evaluations on guys and getting the right guys. I think what I would ask him more than anything is, what is the number one thing you look for when you evaluate players across all positions? Like, what is that one thing that transcends position? Obviously, there's there's certain things you look for for guys at quarterback and guys with even some line and whatnot. But like, what is the one thing you look for? Is it a physical trait you're looking for? Is it explosiveness, something like that, or is it more like an intangible trait you're looking for? Like, what is that you look for? That one thing when you're evaluating players? Because I think he does a great job evaluating players, not just signing them, but evaluating them and, and, and targeting the right guys. So for me. I think that's probably the first thing that I would ask him if I get to sit down with him, which would be awesome. Um, all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, on Thursday, we will have our SEC predictions episode. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be predicting the order of finish in both divisions, complete with win totals and all that stuff. We do this every year, and we usually get a good reception out of it. Uh, so we're going to do it again this year as the season, man, it's just around the corner. But uh, this will be a premium episode. So if you want to be able to access that show, go to Podbean now and subscribe. I do also want to remind you that starting with the first week uh, of the season, we will have two free episodes each week on Dog Sports Radio. Uh, that will be found there exclusively. And the other shows will be premium on Podbean. Again, after that first game week, you will no longer be able to find our shows on SoundCloud or iTunes. So go ahead and just try to get used to uh, finding us on Dog Sports Radio. Download their app straight to your smartphone. You can also listen to them. Uh, you can stream the, their their uh, their network uh, at dogsportsradio.com. You can find all of our shows there. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Really appreciate you guys taking time to sit.